For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject the blood covenant this is part three of the series a son of god is one who shows faithfulness to the covenant in romans chapter 8 verse 14 it is written for as many that are led by the spirit of god in other words we show obedience to yeshua and that we love him by keeping his commandments or following his torah and the only way we can be faithful in keeping his commandments is to be led by his holy spirit and that is how we demonstrate our faithfulness to him, thus being called the sons of God. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 7, it is written, Wherefore you are no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Messiah. And so, in showing our faithfulness in the covenant relationship, in being a faithful son, will be to inherit the things that are ours through the promises of the covenant in revelation chapter 21 verse 7 it says he that overcomes shall inherit all things and i will be his god and he shall be my son so let's summarize what we've covered in the first part of this teaching on the blood covenant number one yeshua and his father are in covenant relationship with each other number two Yeshua was slain from the foundation of the world, and God the Father was in Yeshua, reconciling the world to himself. Number three, by believing in Yeshua as the Messiah, we are in covenant relationship with him and the Father. Number four, a son of God means that you are faithful and obedient to your calling, and your reward is to become an heir in the relationship. Number five, Yeshua is an heir of his Father's kingdom, and those who are faithful in Yeshua and to Yeshua will inherit the kingdom with him. Number six, the Hebrew word for covenant is linked with the Hebrew word for eating. As a result, eating a meal together is a way of expressing a covenant relationship. Number seven, the definition of a blood covenant is that it is a binding, unbreakable obligation between two parties based upon unconditional love, sealed by blood that contains a sacred oath that creates an eternal relationship in which each party is bound by specific terms agreed upon between them, containing promises, blessings, and curses that continue until death. And next we looked at parts of a blood covenant, and once again they involve the following. A representative of the covenant is chosen. Number two, there is an exchange of garments, and they can include robes, belts, weapons, names, and even an exchange of sons. Number three, the terms of the covenant are given, 
and they will include blessings, promises, and curses. Number four, there is the cutting of the covenant. And from the cutting of the covenant is the covenant sacrifice. Number five, there is a covenant walk through the blood that got created from cutting the covenant. And that path is called the way of blood. And in making the covenant, it is called the walk of blood. Number six, there is a covenant seal. It usually involved raising your right hand and mixing blood or a scar or some other symbol. Number seven, the covenant oath is made. Number eight, there is a covenant meal. Number nine, there is a recognized memorial place or there will be left a sign where a covenant was made. And finally, once the covenant is made and agreed upon, later there will be a test of faithfulness to the covenant. And then finally, we gave you an example of covenant words or phrases. And the covenant words or phrases that we examined were the following. Number one, love. Number two, kindness. Number three, grace. Number four, mercy. Number five, faithfulness. Number six, friend. Number seven, loyalty. Number eight, trust. Number nine, remember. Number ten, oath or to swear. Number eleven, testament. Number twelve, the words in, joined to, or together with. Number 13, the words promise, blessing, and curse. Number 14, the words inheritance, or joint heir. Number 15, the word altar, or table. Number 16, the items of bread, wine, or salt. Number 17, eternal life. Number 18, blood. Number 19, to lay down your life. And finally, number 20, the term son of God, which means or indicates covenant faithfulness. So now, since we understand what covenant is, and we've reviewed the different parts of a blood covenant, now let's look at covenant in the Garden of Eden. To begin with, we want to look at the name Adam and what it means when we break it down in the Hebrew. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 20, it is written, And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowls of the air and to every beast of the field. The word Adam is the Strong's number 120 in the Strong's Hebrew Dictionary. And it consists of three Hebrew letters, the Aleph, the Dalet, and the Mem. And if we break down the Hebrew letters of the name Adam, it consists of the Aleph plus the last two letters, the Dalet and the Mem. What we're going to see is the Hebrew letter Aleph in Hebrew is used to represent the God of Israel. And Dom in Hebrew means blood. So if we break down the name of Adam in the Hebrew, we can interpret his name to mean the blood of God. So from this we can see that Adam came of the God of Israel. This is why the scripture said that he was made in the image of God. So now let's look in greater detail at the Hebrew letter Aleph, which we're going to see how it represents the name of the God of Israel. In the book, The Wisdom in the Hebrew Alphabet by Rabbi Michael Monk on page 43, he explains that the Hebrew letter Aleph represents the one and only eternal omnipotent God of Israel. In the book, In His Own Words, by Grant Luton on page 4, he explains that if you write the Hebrew letter Aleph in block form, it resembles a Yod at the top of the letter, then the middle line going through resembles a Vav, and then another Yod at the bottom of the letter. Back to the book, The Wisdom of the Hebrew Alphabet, by Rabbi Michael Monk on page 44, he explains how the Hebrew letter Aleph is associated with the divine name of the God of Israel. That is, the letters yod heh vav heh most commonly pronounced as Yahweh. 
So he explains, the graphic form of the Aleph symbolizes the infinite, eternal nature of God. It consists of three parts. The upper right segment is a yod. Its lower left segment is also a yod. And these two letters are connected by a diagonal vav. Each yod has a numerical value of 10. And the vav has a numerical value of 6, yielding a total of 26. And 26 is the numerical value of the divine name of the God of Israel, yod Hey vav Hey. That is because the Yod has a numerical value of 10, the He a numerical value of 5, the Vav a numerical value of 6, and He a numerical value of 5. So if we add up the numerical value of the four letters of yod Hey vav Hey, it equals 26. And that is the same numerical value when we write the Hebrew letter Aleph in block form, wherein in that way it would consist of two Yods and a Vav equaling 26. So the last two letters of Adam's name spells Dam in Hebrew. And this is the Hebrew word for blood. In Exodus chapter 12 verse 7 it is written, And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses. So the word blood is the Strong's number 1818 in the Strong's Hebrew dictionary. It's the Hebrew word Dam which means blood. So once again in the Hebrew Adam can be broken down individually so that his name can be interpreted to mean the blood of God. In Luke chapter 3 verse 38 it is written, In giving the genealogy of Yeshua, at the end of the genealogy it goes on to say, Which was of the son of Enos, which was of the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was of God. Yeshua is the Word of God. In John chapter 1 verse 1 it is written, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we can see how Yeshua is the Word of God in Revelation chapter 19 verse 13 as it is written, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. In the Targum Onkelos, and the Targums are an Aramaic paraphrase of the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 8, Targum Onkelos interprets the verse in the following way. And they heard the voice of the word of the Lord God walking in the garden in the evening of the day. So the word of the Lord, as we can see from John 1.1 and Revelation chapter 19 verse 13, would be a reference to Yeshua. So it was Yeshua who had relationship with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and spoke with them. Adam in Hebrew means man or mankind. And we can see a relationship between Yeshua and Adam because Yeshua is called the Son of Man or the Son of Adam. In Matthew chapter 18 verse 11 it is written, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Now we're going to see that Yeshua is called the last Adam. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21, and verse 45, it is written, For since by man, Adam, came death, by man, that is Yeshua, came also the resurrection of the dead. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was a living soul. The last Adam, a quickening spirit. So we can see that Yeshua is associated with Adam. So now we're going to see how Adam in Hebrew means man. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 it is written, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the earth, 
And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, And Adam gave names to all cattle. So the Hebrew word for man in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, is the same Hebrew word that's translated as Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. So from this, we can see that Adam means man. In the Sanchino Midrash Rabbah, which is an Orthodox Jewish commentary on the scriptures, volume 6, page 877, in the commentary, it explains how Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden brought death to future generations. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, it says, In the day that you eat, you will surely die. And as a result, we're told in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, So he drove out the man, that is from the Garden of Eden. And the commentary is, Why was Adam driven out of the Garden of Eden? Because he brought death upon future generations. So from this, we can see that Adam represents all of mankind. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it is written, Wherefore by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So we might look at it this way. All of mankind was in Adam. That is why we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, For as in Adam all die, even so all those in Messiah shall all be made alive. So as we examined earlier, the phrase in Adam or in Messiah refers to a covenant relationship. So in the Garden of Eden, the God of Israel arranged a marriage between Adam and Eve. And in creating Eve from Adam, the God of Israel made a cut in Adam's flesh. So this was representing the cutting of an animal, which results in shedding blood as part of a blood covenant. And so from the cutting of Adam's flesh, the God of Israel made woman, who became Adam's wife, or his bride. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, it is written, And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. So in this marriage between Adam and Eve, they are in covenant with each other. We can see this from Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, as it is written. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So the marriage between Adam and Eve in the garden was a prophecy or foreshadowed Yeshua's marriage to his bride. We can see this from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, and then verses 31 and 32, as it is written. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Messiah is the head of the church, or the congregation. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. And this is a great mystery, or in Hebrew it would be a sowed. And a sowed means a deeper spiritual meaning that you don't necessarily see in the literal or in the surface meaning. So the marriage between Adam and Eve in the garden has a deeper spiritual meaning. It's a sowed, and it speaks of Yeshua's marriage to his bride, that is his people, that is his congregation. So now we're going to see that the phrase, it is finished, which Yeshua spoke when he died on the tree in John chapter 19 verse 30, can be understood in the Hebrew to mean to have a bride. So let's see how this is so. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 1 it is written, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. 
So the word finished is the Strong's number 3615 in the Strong's Hebrew Dictionary. And it's the Hebrew word kalah. And we can see kalah here is translated as finished or be completed. Now we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 11 where it says, The voice of joy, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride. The word bride here is the Strong's number 3618. And it's the same Hebrew word, kalah, which as we see means a bride. So the same three Hebrew letters that's translated as finished or to be completed is the same three Hebrew letters of the word bride. So where it says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, given that the word finished is the same Hebrew word for bride, now we can look at John chapter 19 verse 30 where it says, when Yeshua therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. So if we take this back to the Hebrew, we can interpret it to mean so now I can have a bride. So Adam had to shed his blood to have a bride. Genesis chapter 2 verse 21 once again says, And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, which means he made a cut in the side of his body. And then we're told that cut was closed up. And this is the means by which Eve was created from Adam. So in the same way, Yeshua had his flesh cut in the shedding of his blood, and in doing so, he has a bride, his bride being all those that repent of their sins and accept Yeshua's shed blood for the forgiveness of their sins, confess that he's Messiah and Savior in making Lord of your life. And when you make this confession of faith, biblically speaking, you now become the betrothed bride of Yeshua. So now in John chapter 19 verse 34 it is written, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came thereout blood and water. So in making a covenant with someone, particularly a blood covenant, you exchange names. So in this marital blood covenant between Adam and Eve, we're going to see from the Hebrew that she has his name. So in Genesis chapter 2 verse 23 it is written, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And the word woman is the Strong's number 802 in the Strong's Hebrew Dictionary. And the Hebrew word for woman here is Isha. And the word man is the Strong's number 376 in the Strong's Hebrew Dictionary. And here the word for man is Ish. So we take here the Hebrew word for man, ish, and we put a feminine ending on the word, we have isha. So we can see here that the Strong's number 802, woman, or isha, comes from the Strong's number 376, which is ish, or man. So in the Hebrew, she has his name. So next we're going to see the application of covenant terms. And one of the things that's pronounced in covenant between two parties is a blessing. We can see how the God of Israel gave a blessing to Adam and Eve in the garden from Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 as it is written. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air and every living thing that moves upon the earth. So additional covenant terms that Yeshua made with Adam and Eve in the garden, given that Yeshua was the word of the Lord that was with Adam and Eve in the garden, is he commanded them to dress and keep the garden. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 it is written, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So the covenant terms not only included blessing, but a curse for disobedience. 
We can see this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, as it is written. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat, you will surely die. So because Adam and Eve were disobedient to the commandment, they're going to receive the curse for disobedience. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 it is written, And the woman took the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Then in Genesis chapter 3 verse 17 it is written, And unto Adam he said, Because you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. So as part of covenant ceremony, there were two memorial trees in the Garden of Eden. They're spoken of in Genesis chapter 2 verse 9 as it is written. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And what are the two trees? The first is the tree of life. And the second memorial tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So these two trees in the garden represent obedience to the Torah, that is the tree of life, and disobedience, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the mixture of good and evil. And in Hebrew, Babel, from which we get Babylon, means to mix. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents Babylon, which is a name for the kingdom of darkness, or serving Hasatan, or the devil. So the God of Israel created mankind to have free will, so that he could choose what he wants and what he desires. And so the choice that we're given to make is to obey the God of Israel, to obey his Torah, represented by the tree of life, or to disobey him, disobey his Torah, represented by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which personifies Babylon. So in Genesis chapter 2 verse 9, it is written, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life, representing obeying the Torah, because we're told in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 1 and verse 18 that the Torah is the tree of life, and then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, representing disobeying Torah. So the free will choice that Adam and Eve were given in the Garden of Eden regarding these two trees became their test of faithfulness to the God of Israel in their covenant relationship with him. So in Genesis chapter 2 verses 16 and 17 it is written, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. So that tree represented disobedience to the God of Israel, disobedience to his instruction. And Torah in Hebrew means teaching or instruction. So it represented disobedience to the Torah or the commandment of Yeshua. Well, Adam and Eve disobeyed. We can see this from Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. And the woman took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And then we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived in the transgression. So as we saw earlier, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and listened to the voice of the serpent, eating is a Hebraic way of communicating, entering into a covenant with another party. So in Exodus chapter 34, verse 15, it is written, Let us make a covenant. The Strong's number 1285, the Hebrew word Brit, a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And what do we see here? What they did when they made a covenant with the inhabitants of the land? They sacrificed under their gods and they ate of these sacrifices. That is because the Hebrew word Brit, the Strong's number 1285, 
comes from the Strong's number 1262, which is the Hebrew word bara, which means to eat. Well, that's going to conclude part three of the series on the subject, the blood covenant. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details, our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries P.O. Box 81 Strasburg. That's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio. 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.